Hi everyone, Francisco here. Just before we get started, I wanted to share something I'm really excited about. I recently launched the Story Powers Bootcamp, a course that teaches you everything you need to know about how to find, craft, and tell stories that work. But it's not just an online course, because you get personalized feedback from me for all the practical activities and three hours of live coaching to work through any challenges or focus on specific projects. So it's like if you bought a cookbook, but the chef came along with it. So go to storypowers.com and click on course. All the information you need will be there. So please check it out. And if you love the show and would like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash storypowers. I drink about five coffees a day, so any support would be much appreciated. All right, on with the show. When someone is really talented, people sometimes say they sold their soul to the devil. That might be the case with Joe Watson, and it would explain the distinctly demonic noises you hear throughout this episode. Or perhaps the issue is that Joe lives in Bolton, which is the English version of North of the Wall. And maybe the strange sounds are blizzard winds, announcing that winter is coming. When you hear the noises, you can make up your own mind. But less than perfect sound quality is no reason to skip this one. I love my conversation with Joe, and I'm sure you will too. Welcome to the Story Powers Podcast, the show about the power of stories, the people who tell them, and why you should be doing it too. I'm your host, Francisco Mafus. My guest today is Joe Watson. Since no one knows what a copywriter is, Joe describes herself as a writer of stuff. She's also an editor, trainer, speaker, and a lover of swearing, sarcasm, and puns. Now, I have a completely inflated and unwarranted opinion of how good my writing is, but after reading some of her stuff, I reached out to Joe and my exact words were, bloody hell, you can actually write. I'm sure the world will... <laughs> See, this is Joe in the background. <laughs> it's all right. I'm sure the world will soon lavish more elegant and relevant praise on you, but for whatever that's worth, you heard it here first. I mean, first, unless you're one of the thousands of people who already follow her online, but you know, there you have it. <laughs> and for the rest of you, I know that 63% of my audience listens to this podcast on an iPhone. So that means you can actually open the app and do this magical thing of scrolling down a little bit and clicking on the stars. Ideally five, but beggars can't be choosers. I know you can do it. I have faith in you. All right, let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, the glorious Joe Watson. Joe, welcome oh, to the show. Thank you so much. I feel like everything's going to be downhill from here, Francisco. Glorious <laughs> praise. It really was. I, I really don't think I've got to live up to it. <laughs> Whatever follows. But listen, I I said you can write well. I didn't say anything about the type of human being you are. So (laughs) I'm a terrible human being. Wonderful with a pen or a keyboard, but you know, in person, I'm I'm just horrible, really. (laughs) As everyone knows. I like to do a little research on my guests. So so let me see if I if I got this right. You know everything there is to know about copyright law. You think discussions about pricing should come first, and you love flying, being on camera, and seafood. How am I doing so far? Oh, I'd say about 9% correct, which is better than most people <laughs> get for me. But listen, if I know you as well as your husband, that's probably as much as it can be expected. 
I'm at this dangerous stage at the moment where um, I got exactly what I, I wished for because uh, my husband and I both run our own businesses. And so the, the pressure was always that we never saw each other enough. And now, of course, we've all been locked down, haven't we, for three months. And I got exactly what I wished for. Now I have to see him every day, at every turn. And um, oh my, we are hating each other increasingly by the moment. We really are. So this, yeah, it's my fault for uh, for wishing to see him more. But oh my God, that, that man knows me inside out and hates me for all those reasons. <laughs> I completely agree with with your approach to what makes for a successful relationship and what doesn't. And and one of the reasons I think I've managed to stay with Patricia for as long as I have now, we've been together now for mm, 14 years this time around, um, because we we used to date when we were, you know, we were first boyfriend and girlfriend. And then we she got tired of me after two years and dumped me. And we got back together after five years. Five years was a long enough time to forget most of the of the bad stuff and or you know unlearn it. And then when we got back together, she was in Barcelona and I was in London. So we only saw each other once every month, maybe once every two months. And if you spend three days with someone every two months, it's all wonderful. <laughs> and we did that for four years. That's the secret, isn't it? Yeah. They, they, what is it? The absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I think it's true. It's exciting. Mm. But no, when you are trapped in your house with them, I well, I believe that um, divorce rates are going through the roof. And I, I'd read somewhere the other day that um, people Googling divorce and divorce lawyers and um, divorce rights is up by 47% or something because people are just hating who they are living with at the moment and who, who they've chosen to spend their lives with. So I like the approach of being in, in different countries. I think that, that's wonderful. <laughs> Sounds like the perfect relationship. I mean, that, that is the best relationship advice ever. You want to love someone see more, them see them less. Yeah, that's a slogan for a teacher, I feel. That would work. <laughs> Now that you talked about divorce, I feel the need to, to make a public service announcement for everyone in the UK. If you have to get divorced, you don't need a lawyer. All you need is Tesco. Tesco sells Tesco divorce kits for £7.45, I believe. Yeah. And they are legally binding. And I am proof to that because that's how I got divorced all the way back in 2004 or five. Tesco divorce. I'm, it's amazing. I mean, I don't know if it still comes in a CD, but all you do is you put the thing in your computer. Probably now you just print a PDF <laughs> off the internet, complete it, send it in. It's all legally binding. <laughs> still is. And you seem so happy about that as well. The joy in your eyes as you're saying that it's legal. Well, well, Joe, it's it's because it's because marriage might not be forever, but divorce yes, is. Yes, that's true. That's true. I, I, well, I might have to look into this. Although I haven't been in our in our <laughs> local Pesco for well since this all, all happened now because I have I've so little yeah. patience. So the last time I went to Tesco, there was a massive queue outside, and I lasted about like three minutes. And I was like, "Oh, forget it. We'll just starve. I'll go home." So I'd have to really want that divorce, I think, to be able to, to go in there. <laughs> In my time, they used to keep the divorce kits by the cashier, <laughs> so you could just grab it as you grab some mints or something. A mint, I need, I need fresher breath. Mm, this divorce thing sounds interesting. Only seven pounds sixty-five. It's a natural um, impulse buy. I feel. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get the mints. Might get a bottle of, of water just to hydrate myself on the way back to the car. And yeah, let's, let's get a divorce. 
exactly that. Why no? I think stranger things have happened. So, uh, but no, I haven't. Mm. I haven't Googled mm. it myself. Um, but you know, that, I think that's because I would probably much rather go around a more more permanent route with it. I would probably just kill him. I feel. <laughs> I think I just I just go that route. I think I'd feel better. Yeah. It's less drawn out. It's yeah. I think I'd probably go that way. By this point, if anything happens to my husband in the next few days, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. But as yes, but as you, I believe you talked about online already. One of the the great advantages of of that happening is that you also find out who your real friends are, um, because some people stop commenting on your post, and some would say, "I'm getting the shovel." <laughs> now I am loving the whole thing with the, the shovel at the moment because um, I'm actually I'm, I'm going through a bit of a rebrand. I, I don't know, maybe it's a bit of a midlife crisis, but I looked at my website the other day and I thought, I don't like my logo. I don't like how my website's laid out. I don't think it does enough to, to showcase me. And we chatted about it online, hadn't we? We'd said, you said, oh, no, you can't, you can't change it. My company is called A Good Write-Up, and yet people don't really know that. And um, But what they do know is these ridiculous situations that I find myself in, um, such as when I had a go at, at that guy online who said that all women should be at home greeting the men um, with a freshly cooked meal and be ready to welcome him into the bed. And I said, <laughs> if my husband expected me to greet him in any way, the only thing I'd do is greet that fucker with a shovel. Although my company is called A Good Write-Up, people don't really see that or hear that, but they all associate me with the shovel. So... <laughs> So I'm thinking that's that's got to be blended into the branding, perhaps at, at some point. I'm considering it anyway. Now that you now that you talked about branding, I think it's probably a good way to to ask a question related to something that we wanted to talk to you about, other than sheer nonsense, which is how do you differentiate copywriting from branding? Um. Oh God! Oh God! That's a tough question. Like you said, you know what? We'll come on this podcast. We'll keep it long. We'll have a joke. <laughs> we do when we banter and we chat on our posts and everything like that. And now I'm being asked these like proper questions about about stuff. It was one, one proper question. One too many. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about with any of this, Francisco. I really don't. And I think that's the beauty of my branding. The branding is getting out there what you want people to know and think about you. <laughs> Whether any of it's true or not um, doesn't really matter. Um, but no, I think, well, anyone can have a personal brand. You don't necessarily have to be a good writer to do it. But I think in this online world where we're all pitching to get our content out there and show that we're the, the best at what we do and that we're the best person to work with, it's not enough just to have the content. It's got to have an element of personality in there so I can't just put out things and say look at this last piece that I wrote for someone it's exquisite it sells it sizzles it's wonderful that's not enough because there are so many copywriters out there so when I'm putting anything online I want people to see me so I'm definitely building my personal brand I want people to recognize me by things other than my writing I want them to say oh yeah you're that girl who said she was going to kill a fellow with a shovel you know you're you're the one who, um, you know, who did these terrible things that I, I share online, like um, like I swear in front of my kids. Some people love me for that because they can relate to it. Um, some people hate me for it. But either way, it is, it is building a, a brand, isn't it? So I think the writing is just a very small part of it. It's just being unafraid to show who you are 
and put yourself out there. Um, but with the, with the branding, well, I hope it's, I'm going to say, oh, an interesting story here. I hope it is interesting. It might not be. Um, I put something on LinkedIn a while ago and it was very much my story. I think I'd been into a charity shop because I was going uh, to someone's party and it was an 80s themed party. And so it was 80s fancy dress. So I went to my local charity shop. And I thought I'll buy some, you know, brightly coloured, hideous outfit that I can make it look 80s and I'll look really cool. And when I went in to the charity shop, there was a sign um, on the cashier's desk saying, please be vigilant. We've had a number of thefts in this store. And that really upset me because I thought, who would steal from a charity shop? That's that's horrible. That's, that's terrible. And I thought, you know what? I can be serious with my content at times. So I'm going to put this out there. So I took a picture of it and posted it on LinkedIn. And I said, you know, I saw this in my local charity shop. Um, it was telling the story because I think that's important to get people involved in the story, why I was there, just exactly like I'm telling you now. And um, and I put it out there and I said, I think it's awful. You know, people would steal from a charity shop. How low do you have to go? And it started a conversation. You know, there were people saying, well, some people have got nothing and they're, they're forced into having to do that. And we were looking at things from all angles and it was amazing. And then someone put a comment on that just said, hmm. And I, I hate that. That is such a bugbear of mine. Someone who doesn't go straight in with a comment, they just put a really petty, hmm. And, you know, because, of course, I'm going to bite at that then. So I did. I was like, yes, can I help you? And she said, oh, straying away from the original content, are we? And I sent yeah. a, a message back saying, I'm, I'm sorry. And she said, oh, it's just that I've, I've already seen this story elsewhere before. I'm quite disappointed that as a copywriter, you've chosen to, to steal someone else's content so that you can build your audience. And I thought, well, I would never do that because I would get found out. But secondly, as a copywriter, that would be suicide to use someone else's written content. Wow. That is, that is going to kill my career dead. So I would never do that. But I was really annoyed that it had been suggested. And I was really annoyed that it had been done in a public forum. She could have sent me a private message. But no, she wanted to out me. Anyway, so I did a bit of research. And I did contact her privately. And I said, I'd love to know, because this is my story. Where the hell do you think I've copied it from? So she sent me a screenshot from where she'd seen it on Facebook. And it was my bloody page on Facebook. <laughs> and the reason she thought I'd stolen it is because on LinkedIn, I'm Joe Watson. On Facebook, I've got my company page, which is a good write-up. And she didn't know the link. So I laugh about it now. But I just think, oh, Christ, as if I've been accused of plagiarizing my own work. But it was a lesson to me, Francisco, because I thought I've got this brand, a good write-up, yet nobody really knows it. They know Joe Watson and whether they love her or hate her. <laughs> at least they know her so so yes so in terms of branding I think it is yeah it's more about the person and the personality I think so so yes I might be getting rid of that logo and that name I agree I mean obviously the branding is I heard someone describe it as the feeling you want people to have when they see that there's a new post from you or, or whatever it is that you do you know they see something from Joe Watson from Francisco what is the feeling that they get what what, are the, what am I in for what am I expecting with this? And that that is really what the brand is. It's, oh, I'm going to be amused. Maybe I'll be entertained. Maybe I'll be offended. Yeah. Maybe whatever, right? Uh, but 
I, I find it very interesting that your job is often to to, to write for other people. Now you're editing their books and you, you're copywriting for their website. So it's not the Joe Watson personality that is meant to come through if you're doing some of the things you do as right. a copywriter. So is that this whole thing of being able to write or, or, or edit in someone else's voice that I find very interesting because I, I don't think I'm capable of doing that at all. I mean, I, don't, I can't turn off my own voice to <laughs> to write well, for someone else. It is else. a tough thing to do, but where I kind of enjoy my job is the fact that I'm at a stage now where I've built my brand to the level that I have that people contact me. So I don't pitch for work. Yes, I'll tell people if I've got you know a product I'm selling or if I'm running a training course. I will I will tell people. But I don't cold email anyone. I don't pitch. I don't say, yeah, if you need a copywriter, come and hire me. I don't do it. I just put my own stuff out. So now I'm at a point where people come to me and they say, I love your style. I love the voice that you write in. That's what I want for my business. So, yeah, they don't want it to be exactly me. It's not going to be my opinions. It's going to be their wishes and, and their actual content. But they're happy that it's going to get put across in a style that they love because it's the style they've seen me writing. So really, it's very rare I have to write in someone else's voice, which is wonderful. Um, it does take a while to get there, but I, I like where I am because obviously it's a lot easier. I don't have to think, oh, I've got to put you know my corporate head on now to do anything because I wouldn't enjoy that anyway, to be honest. But it is a skill. It is a skill. But ultimately, the client, in order to help you do your job properly, the client needs to know what they want because sometimes the client comes to you and they don't have a clue. And you'll say, do you want it to be formal or informal? Oh, I don't know. And so the real skill you need to have isn't about switching to their voice. It's about being a fucking mind reader, Francisco, because they just, they're not articulating it at all, what they want. And that's really, really tough. But no, I'm, I'm very, very lucky that I've got to, to where I am, where I can just write in my own voice, really. It's, it's quite nice. But in terms of what people are in for, uh, yeah, that's a great way of describing brand. And I think people know that if they, if they click on one of my posts, they know that either A, they're going to be amused, or B, I will have done my best to try and amuse them because <laughs> it doesn't always work. But they know the intention will always be there, and that's the main thing. Yeah, I heard you say on an interview, I think, when you were talking about the ability to to write or, or at least edit in someone else's voice and how you, you learn how to do it. And I, I think you might have even said something like, you know, it's not that hard. I don't need to listen to it for that long before I can, I can, I can do it. And I, I immediately thought, could she do my voice? And then I thought, yes, she could. She just needs to get some wife jokes in there and and talk about how little sexual prowess she has. I mean, it would be pretty That's easy. <laughs> just make, I'll make them land. I'll I'll make them hit. It's about. <laughs> but no, it is. It's all about the right client. It really is. And as I said, people come to me now and say, I, I really love what you do. You know, I, I want to come across in that style. I want to come across in that tone and in that voice. So I, I find that easy. They, they can give me their notes or I can just talk to them for a while. And I think, yeah, if how, how would I say it? How would I take the message that they want to get across? How would I say it? So it is, it is quite easy. If I ever find it hard, 
that's my kind of note to myself that I'm not with the right client. And um, and that's where um, one of my blogs ages ago was about not knowing who my ideal client is. And that's fine by me because in marketing now, everyone is harping on about knowing your ideal client. And it's not just ideal client, it's ideal client avatar now, which just sounds pretentious. And I think, you know, just adding a little word onto something doesn't make it a different concept. It's just you adding a little bit of pretension, trying to show people you've come up with this wonderful idea that no one's ever had before. But they, they talk about this avatar because you should know who your ideal client is, what they look like, how old they are, where they live, where they go on holiday in the summer, what their shoe size is, um, how they're going to choose to parent their children, what time they have their dinner at night, and are they vegetarian, are they a vegan? And, and I just think that's utter bollocks. You can never know that about people. I would I don't know my own husband that well, <laughs> so I'm not going to know someone who I've never even worked with yet to that detail but I think if you put yourself out there in a certain way your ideal clients will gravitate to you and you know what on paper you may think oh that's not going to work with them but then you get on the phone to them or you get on a zoom and you think oh actually yeah we're, we're gelling here so I think it's all about ideal clients finding you and then that's when you've got absolute gold because the relationship just means you can you can write their work with ease. So, um, so yeah, it, it's working quite well. I appreciate it could all go wrong at, at any moment. But for now, it's the system that's working well for me, Francisco. And that's probably a good thing since you threw away a perfectly good career in teaching, right? <laughs> you've been speaking to my mother. <laughs> well. <laughs> it's what she would say to you. It is. And I know I do on my LinkedIn profile and on my website, I do mention it. Yeah, I, I talk about my mum. Because you know what? Lots of us have issues with our mothers. <laughs> That's a good way of getting people to kind of be drawn to me, really. The people who say, oh, God, yeah, I had a career in banking and I threw it away. And, and my mum's never forgiven me either. And it, it draws people to you. Um, yeah, I was. I was a teacher. I was not cut out for it. I don't know why I went into it. I've got no idea. I could not explain that to you. The kids were great. Um, but the politics in, in education, certainly in Britain, it's horrendous. So I didn't last long at all. But of course, my mum hit the roof when she found out I was leaving. I think what made it worse as well is that I quit having no other job in place. So um, she would have preferred it if I would have at least had another career lined up. But I, I didn't. I just left. I got to the point where I thought, I can't do this. This is killing me. So I um, I did get another job working in education, but but not in formal teaching. But the plan was I'm going to build my business on the, the sideline until I can get to a point where I can just do it full time and it'll be wonderful. And then I'll be a millionaire and it'll all be fantastic. And I'll be this world renowned writer and everyone will know my work and think I'm wonderful. And then about a month after going full time uh, with my my business venture, I found out I was pregnant and spent nine months being horrendously sick. So the whole empire building kind of went out the window a little bit. But I'm still here. The business is alive and the baby is alive. So yay. 
<laughs> I mean, some days that some days that's all you can ask for. It's most days, that's all I can ask for. That's the dream, Francisco. There's a bit of a problem with your plan there because you say everyone will know my work and think I'm wonderful. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure those two follow from each other. <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely right. They don't go together. Um, I think everyone will know my work and think. Um, I think everyone will know my work and think. Wow. <laughs> With that exact intonation as well. And I, I'll take it as a compliment. I'll take it as a, wow, you're a wonderful writer, when really they're thinking, wow, how the hell have you have you made a career based on this? But you know what? I'm taking wow is good. Uh, you've got an English degree, right? I have. It's totally useless. Same, same here. I was just curious about what your actual thesis was or your final paper. Because I I wanted to check if it was more pretentious than mine. Oh God, mine was in no way pretentious. I need to know yours. Go on. Right. So my my final paper was called "I Wanted to Breathe Smoke: Violence, Self Destruction, and the Search for Meaning from American Psycho to Fight Club." Oh my God! <laughs> what did your tutors say about that? Did they just go, "Yep, go on"? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I explained, I mean, the, the ambition of it was just ridiculous. I said, oh, you know, the, there's a lot of problems in, you know, the 80s generation and the 90s generation. I would like to tackle both things through the, the seminar works and get in some existentialist stuff in there, get some psychology. Oh, nice. um, so, and they, they, he's like, yeah, go for it. Yeah, sounds sounds like a brilliant plan. But this is also a guy whose favorite book in in, in, in all of literature was Blood Meridian, so from okay. Cormac McCarthy, which is not an easy or light book. So he probably just said, "Yeah, I like a bloodbath. I would like to see this unravel." <laughs> yeah, that's a good word <laughs> to use, isn't it? Let's let's see where this starts spiraling out of control, really. But I have to ask then. With the American Psycho, were you basing it on on the film or or the book? Which were you going for then? So I did the books, and I did the books. But this was a this was a rude awakening because I think when I decided to do it, I can't remember if I had already read the book or not. I thought, I mean, how how different from the movie can yeah. it really be? And then when you read it, you find out that Fight Club is exactly the movie, slightly worse, arguably, because you know, no no bare chested Brad Pitt. Um, but then American Psycho. I didn't know Fight Book. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, check check Palenyak. It's it's a very good book, but okay. it's exactly the movie. And and American Psycho, American Psycho, is horrendous because all this sort of goofy comic comic aspect to the to the movie, none of that is in the book. And in the book, all the horrible stuff he does, like he tortures people before he murders them. And the book describes page after page after page. Oh, I had to put it down sometimes. And, you know, I, I'm not squeamish. But sometimes it's like, oh, do you really have to do that with a I rat? Just thinking I mean, really? about the rat. Yeah, I was thinking about, about oh, the rat. So that's why I thought I'd, I'd ask. Yeah. Because, well, well, one, I didn't know Fight Club was a book. So that, that is absolute news to me. So I'm going to have to read it now. Um, but yeah, I've obviously seen the, the film for American Psycho and read the book. The film is almost a, a farce in a way, isn't it? Really? Like when he's running with the chainsaw with his bunny slippers on and, and all of that. And in the book, that never would have featured. It's all very hideous and dark and prolonged 
because it is, it's page after page after page. It's not just, oh, here's a paragraph about him torturing someone. It is so drawn out, which I guess is 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 good writing in a way because that's how it would have been for that character to do it. You know, they, they would have drawn it out. Um, but my God, your yeah, your thesis must have been so dark. <laughs> I don't think it was actually because what all all I wanted to focus on was mostly the the sort of the super passion for capitalism that existed in in the eighties and how that trans- translated into the culture and how then a little, some of that was fading in the nineties and there was a bit more angst and whatever and I I really like the supporting stuff I read for it but the books were perhaps the only two books I read in my life where the books are not better than the movies or at least there was you don't gain by reading the books you just you know American Psycho I think I definitely lost oh, <laughs> not, never getting that part of my soul yeah we, we all did I mean you know what we should have known though because when you pick up the book physically it's like a house brick isn't it and you just think well you know, this isn't going to be something I can dip in and out of. This, this is, you know, I'm going to have to commit to this. Um, but oh my god, that that takes that takes me back because I think, I think when I read that book, I was, um, I think I was at university, but I I didn't choose anything that dark. But I did choose to look at a darkness in in a way. I'd looked at the humour in a program called The League of Gentlemen. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. it it's it's a little yeah. bit cult status, really. But um, I struggled because I found it very funny. But I was realizing that not everyone was, including my my lecturer and my tutors, and that, that made it very difficult to to discuss the humor within it. But I honestly couldn't tell you what I wrote about at all. I think I just. I think by that point, I thought I don't actually care about this degree anymore. I loved studying. I am a geek. I believe in education, but I just felt that by the time I got to the end of my degree, or I was getting to the end of it, I thought I don't think this is going to get me anywhere. And I, I, I think, I think I'm, I'm right with that. I don't because a lot of people mention it when they say, "Oh, has it helped you be a copywriter?" I honestly don't think it, it has, and it hasn't helped with my own writing for me either. It hasn't, it hasn't shaped me. It will help a lot of people, I'm sure, but I just feel that when you're becoming a writer, it's your own experiences and your own tone and what you hone, the skills that you hone. So I could look at something I wrote three years ago and be mortified by it and think, oh my God, as if I wrote that, that's awful. And I think I could rewrite it now and it'd be wonderful. But that, I think that's the beauty of writing. You just develop it as you go along. I don't think it's something you have a, a formal basis in. But I don't know if you agree. What What are your thoughts on that? It's it's worth understanding the context in which I took my, my English degree. Because I, did, I didn't disappoint my mom to the extent you did because I did it in steps. I originally tried getting into medical school. That didn't work. I was watching too much ER at the time. That didn't work. And then I went into advertising, quit that after you know half the course I quit, and I went into literature. And then I quit that to come to Europe and you know be a bartender. Um, so then when I eventually went back to school, I think just the fact that it was a degree made my mom happy. But the reason I did it was because my brain was was shrinking. I was bartending. I was doing also, I was working at a call center at a time. So I had no intellectual stimulation whatsoever. And my friends didn't help at all with that. So, <laughs> so I studied because I wanted to, to make my brain 
you know, sort of nimble again. And I liked books and I always read obsessively. So when I took the courses I took, most of them just sounded interesting to me. And I did it on that basis. I wasn't really expecting anything out of it. And I never tried to use it for anything. I mean, the only thing I can say that I categorically got out of my education was I have, hands down, the best education section on LinkedIn. No one else is talking about Dracula's sexual preferences on their education section. Uh, so I, I should actually post on that one day because I 100% I have them. You were just going to see your profile views just absolutely skyrocket. People <laughs> think, what the hell is this guy doing? Well, yeah, you've got to keep it interesting. But with, with you saying that, was your, your degree pure literature then? Was it English literature? Yes, yes, because it was English literature. mine, yes. um, I loved both. I loved language and literature. So when I applied to university, I did the combined honours of language and literature. After my first year of literature, actually got to a point where I thought if I carry on studying this I'm going to hate reading and that's it, it was nothing to do with the studying it was how it was taught and the text that we were studying so like all of the texts for that entire first year nothing was later than the 14th century and that, that's a real problem you need a you need a real mix don't you you need contemporary as well as traditional and and it was awful. I found it so hard going where I got to a point where I thought I am actually going to hate something that I have as quite a big hobby here. So I quit literature and just did full time language. But like I said, I still don't I still don't think it, it helped me. But mine was the more traditional context that I was in. I didn't I didn't get to hop around the world prior to doing my degree. Francisco. Yeah, there's there's nothing particularly sexy or glamorous when you're hopping around the world, you know, from Brazil to London to do <laughs> silver service. <you> know? <laughs> I mean, I can make anything sound glamorous now. I can say that I worked at one of the biggest nightclubs in the world, which is uh -huh. Fabric in London, but the work itself involved picking up bottles from the floor. I mean, good music, but still, you're picking up bottles from the floor. It's nothing glamorous about that. <laughs> well, like you said, it's, it's how we make it sound, though, isn't it? We can put a lovely spin on it. Mm. We're good with words glamorizing. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, so you said something before we we I I digressed us with this whole education stuff that uh, talking about what makes you or doesn't make you a better writer. Now, I know that one of the things you do is you also give trainings. How and again with the risk of sounding pretentious, uh, and working on the basis I can actually write, it doesn't strike me as something that not that you couldn't teach. I'm sure you can make someone mm -hmm. a lot better, but. But is to me, it's a bit like humor. I mean, you can improve someone that has a bit of a basis, but I don't think you can make someone funny or or a good writer, you know, from whole cloth. I mean, so, how, so what's your experience with that? And what works, what doesn't work? What well, I fully agree with you that you, you can't make someone, you know, be the finished article. If, if they're not naturally like that in some way, there's not a lot you can do with them. So, yeah, if they're not naturally funny you're never going to make them a stand-up comedian if they're not at least willing to to put the work in to be a writer and have a little bit of talent there to work with there's nothing anyone can teach them on on any course but certainly not for a you know a day when they typically come to me so i found that it's really really key in in marketing them very carefully so that everyone's expectations are managed so if someone 
said to me, oh, I want to come on your course, but I, I really can't string a sentence together, I'd be saying, I'm not the person for you. I think what I try to do is I try to attract people who are good at writing or they certainly have the basic building blocks there, um, but they need to sharpen their skills a bit, get some ideas, get some new techniques, find different sources of inspiration so that they can make sure they're creating good content. And it's usually for their businesses. So people aren't really coming to me just for a, because they want to, you know, get better at writing and it's just a bit of fun. It's usually because they'll need it for their business. So I will show them tips and techniques that will really upskill them so that they'll be able to sell a little bit more easily or they'll be able to promote with a little bit more efficiency. So yeah, they definitely need that starting point when they're coming in. I yeah, it, it is difficult though. And it's why a lot of people will say to me, Oh, can I can I come to you and can you train me on how to write social media posts and LinkedIn posts and I'll say yeah we can do it as a little session or I can do it as a small part of a of a wider copywriting day but I'm never going to give you a full day on it because to be honest a lot of it is to do with you as a person it, it's not necessarily what I write that people gravitate to it's because they've become to, they've come to know me if someone else wrote exactly the same stuff it might not land as well because it's it's not from me and I think it that ties in with the, the branding issue um it's what you become and what people expect and what people want to see from you so I don't think people could care less how I write anymore you can't teach it and Christ I wouldn't want to teach anyone to be like me anyway that, that'd be horrendous so is there any or, or there was in the beginning when you started writing on on social media or or writing in general is there any type of structure or model that you kind of follow or some elements you're always trying to get in there because i i can't necessarily see that now when i when i read your stuff now it just seems like you have a bit of a captive audience and then you're just being you but i can't necessarily notice something and again I think you're a significantly better writer than I am, but mine, you can see, if you look not very hard, you see through the seams of how I write. So it, mine is always, you know, some questions or some sort of more interesting statement to open and then leading into something, or it's just a story, or I just tell a story, and then I try to bring out a broader point out of it. Now, do you have any type of structure you follow or teach people um, at least? I, I don't actually. So that's, I'm glad really that you've said you can't find one in my work because I was thinking if you say, oh yeah, I can see the structure you're following, I'd be there thinking, then I'm doing it subconsciously. I'm, I'm clearly doing it without thinking about it. Um, I don't really like structure when it comes to storytelling. And I believe that's what it is when you're sharing content, whether it's on your website, social media, or in a pitch for example, I think it's all about storytelling. And yes, I know traditionally stories should have a beginning, middle and an end. But anyone who's seen any of the films made for Netflix will uh, will be able to stand by the fact that actually your story doesn't need a middle or an end. It just needs to be on screen and people will, will buy it. Um, the amount of things I've seen where I've gone, where's the ending? How does that tie up? No, it's a slight digression, really. But, but no, I think storytelling, it should be natural. It should be how you would talk to someone down the pub with your friends so when you say how do I teach it people get too bogged down in structure they say oh well I know what I want to say 
but I don't know how to start it and I don't know where to go and in what order. And I say to them, how would you tell your mates down the pub if you were going to share that story, if you were going to share that case study or that scenario or that anecdote, how would you tell them? And that's what you need to write down. Now, you might not go straight into typing it and publishing it, but you can at least get it down in the way that you would say it. And then you can edit it later on and you can tweak it and think, oh, that that doesn't need to go in there or, or maybe I'll move that to the end. You can always edit that starting point that you've got. But it really is about bringing it as close to speech as possible for me. So when I write something, I think, is this how I would say it? And I want people to go, oh, I can imagine you saying that. So, no, I don't. I don't. I very rarely put questions in. A lot of people will tell you that you should, and there might be something in that. There really might be. If, if I start putting questions in my posts, I might see engagement soar further. I might see sales go up. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that would work for me. All I know is that it wouldn't be comfortable for me because it's not my natural style. Um, so a lot of people will put something on and they'll say, oh, you know, I was stuck on the train uh, for three hours and I was stuck next to this guy who was on a phone call for two and a half hours of it. And it was it was killing me and and it was awful. And I, I tried to hide laughing. And, and you know, people share these stories. And I think people will relate just to the story. So you'll get people saying, oh, and last time I was on the train, it was delayed by four hours and blah, blah, blah. And people talk. I don't see the point in ending those posts with, when was the last time you were on a train? Yeah, I I didn't even mean, you know, because th those are the sort of call to yeah. action questions that people say you should have in social media posts. I, I didn't even mean in that sense. I meant, for example, when I help people improve their public speaking right so the way i tend to describe their introduction as you know then you have to capture people's attention and and i found that and i think you appreciate this i described that your introduction should be wtf but now wtf for me doesn't mean what it ah. normally means to me it means your introduction should be weird thought-provoking okay. or funny so if you can do any of those things then you have a good chance of capturing people's attention and perhaps you know, although you are significantly more cynical than I am with your online persona, you seem to have a much higher opinion of people's ability to speak or write. Because I find that if I say to people, how would you tell your friends that? But most of my friends are <laughs> so boring. Like they cannot tell a story. They start talking and I'm like, you've been talking for 10 minutes. I still don't know where we're going with this. Right. Are you out of the setup? Are we in the are we in the meaty bit now? I don't know. What's the problem here? What is the conflict? Do you know something? <laughs> this, this is a revelation for me. This really is, Francisco. First of all, because I love the WTF. I love. I'm going to steal that. I will. I will be giving you credit wherever I steal that. That's going to go in my next training session for sure. That is wonderful. I love it. Weird, <laughs> thought provoking, or funny. I love it. You're absolutely right because as soon as you said. Some of your friends just couldn't tell the story or wouldn't know where they're going. Yeah, I'm not going to name any names, but as soon as you said it, there was one of my friends who really sprung to mind. And I thought, oh, God, yeah, I was transported back to the pain of the last time they told me a story. And I still don't know what the end was. And I think they might still be telling me. I don't know. I just, I just walked off. You're absolutely right. But I think in general, I wouldn't teach that. I A lot of copywriters want to share good value when they put posts out online. 
I don't. Right. So a lot of they'll say, you oh, know, I'm going to give I'm going to show you what I can do for free. So I'm going to give you some writing tips. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the other. And that is wonderful. That's what they do. That's not really my style. Um, and it's not because I don't want to give things out for free. It's because if I'm going to put a post out, I want it to be WTF. <laughs> I just want it to be that pure and simple. I'm bothered about if they think, wow, I feel like such a better writer now having read one of your posts. Um, but I would teach the, you know, keep it as close to speech as you can in one of my training sessions. But that goes back to targeting the right people and marketing towards the right people. And when people contact me and they, like I said, you know, if they, oh, I can't string a sentence together, it'd be a no from me. When people contact me and say, I want to book on your course, I have to have a conversation with them first. So there's no option where they can just click book and pay. I insist on a conversation with each person so I can get a feel for whether they are going to be someone who will really benefit from the course. So that way I know I've got a load of people. Well, I say a load and I'll limit it to eight people so that everyone can get some focused time. But I know exactly what kind of people I've got in front of me. And I, I know if I've got the person who can't tell a story for shit. So, yeah, so I think that's a really interesting point. And that probably highlights why I don't just share throwaway tips. I don't think they they work for anyone. I'm stealing all your ideas today, Francisco. I'm loving this. Do you hear this noise or is it just me? There's some strange noise on the line, but I'm not sure if it, it sounds like a, it sounds like the devil is breathing down my neck. But maybe this is just in my head. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, maybe maybe he maybe he's waiting I mean, for you. Yeah, maybe. Um, so I think yeah, I think it is a bit different because it's a bit different for you than it is for some people because you're selling your ability mm -hmm. to write normally. I don't think you're selling your ability to teach people writing. Primarily, I think I've seen you maybe mention a blogging resource oh. once or twice. Uh, <laughs> and, and the fact that you can write proves that you can do the job. I, I do training and I do coaching and stuff, but the primary thing for me is keynote speaking. So when people see me telling a story, that's fine. And say, okay, well, he can tell a story, but a keynote speech is not just me telling stories. I'm not being hired as a storyteller. I'm being hired as a speaker, which is meant to teach people that. So if I don't ever do any teaching, there is, it's impossible for someone to see my stuff and go, well, he can definitely do what we're going to pay him to do. And they'll go, well... The stories might be amusing. I have no idea if you have any useful content to share. So I think it's. I, I think for some people they have to have that more tips for this or tips for that approach, which arguably is lends itself less well to just being you and being uh, being entertaining. I mean, you can still do it. I try to do it, but obviously, if I can just tell stories nonstop, that uh, <laughs> it's a lot easier to come out come up with content. It's easier. It's much more fun. And, you know, I do sit there sometimes, Francisco, and think, you know, should I put something out that is a bit more useful? But I don't I don't think people would expect that from me. You know, I don't I don't think that they're not they're not following me because they're thinking, oh, you know, every time I see one of her posts, I'm going to get better at writing. I, and I, I don't want them to either. I want them to see what I write and think, wow, she's good. I want to hire her to do the writing for me. So. 
It's a, it's a, it's a fair point. And, and I, I wanted to pick up on something you said about structure and not having it on something that I know is not the, the primary part of your business, but, but it's something I know you do as well, which is speaking. Well, the first question I have is, do you think that it is your fault that we're in, in this situation now all locked down? Because you spoke, I think, last year at CopyCon and you said, they'll have me back unless something happens. <laughs> I was, Yeah, I was quite shocked, actually. I did. I spoke at CopyCon. That was one of my first um, large-scale professional speaking gigs, really. Um, so I'd, I'd done some smaller ones prior to that. And, you know, everything had worked really well. But the CopyCon, uh, the Professional Copywriters mm -hmm. Conference, that was a big deal for me. It was in London. It was at the Barbican. Everything went wrong on that day. Uh, my IT failed. People had been sent to the wrong room for one of my breakout sessions and therefore came in like 20 minutes into it, which really threw me because they walked right across in front of me. I found it a massive learning curve because I thought I was going to be brilliant at it. And when I got there and I saw all the other people who were speaking, I just thought, oh, my God, I thought I'm, I'm good. I'm not here saying, oh, I'm not good enough for anything. I thought, I'm good, but bloody hell, I'm nowhere near where these guys are. So it was a massive learning thing. And then they, they did invite me back. So I'm due to be going back this year. But at the moment, yeah, it, it is a whole kind of if we're allowed to do it. And yeah, maybe maybe this is the universe's way of saying, no, you don't go back. Don't go back. Because, you know, CopyCon are probably thinking she'll come back. She'll do a better job this year. It'll go much smoother. And the world is actually saying, no, you're going to fuck it up, Joe. So we're going to throw everything out into the world a pandemic just to stop you going back there and, and making a fool of yourself so if the universe perhaps gave you any signs that you would go back and do a, a good job like maybe if you've met someone who does this professionally <laughs> and helped people get better i mean maybe that would be a sign that you're meant to go back <laughs> just don't know anyone who does it though right <laughs> So, yeah, I think I think I need to work on my branding, right? It's not just this, you know, this good looks, Joe. There's more to there's more to me than this. <laughs> and I'm so gutted for you, actually, that you weren't recording when the first thing I said to you when we came on was, "My God, you're handsome!" <laughs> As if you that, I and mean, then just like just put that out. <laughs> <laughs> well we have it we have it on the record now so it's okay i had a conversation with someone the other day and i was talking about one of the things i really like about speaking in public which is that people actually speaking in public and to some extent social media at least my experience with social media which is people will like what you say they'll tell you that they like what you say and sometimes they'll commend you for you know, your wisdom or your sense of humor. Now, perhaps I've been with the same person for too long, but no one is applauding me at home. <laughs> no one is commending me on my wisdom. Uh, so, you know, the, the fact that you go into a room and you talk in front of me, sometimes hundreds of people, and they're applauding you. I mean, that's not what we usually experience no. in life, is it? No, and, and, and that's the thing. We, we expect that we'll go home to our other halves and they'll just sit enraptured by everything we say and they'll, they'll be thinking my god I could listen to you for hours and let me make some notes whilst you're talking to me and they don't listen to us at all probably for good reason <laughs> you think when we go out and we speak on stage these people have only got us for an hour um so we probably dial it up a bit and think yeah let's give them all the good stuff but it's 
I, I don't know. I mean, I always thought I was I was good at it, but then when you see other people who are excellent at it, you just think, right, I, I really need to up my game. And I I love that. I, I love that. Yeah, I want to be able to, I, I came away from CopyCon disappointed, not in, in the event. And you know, it was fantastic. It was an amazing experience. I was disappointed in myself. And I think that's a good thing because it means I will strive to get better. And and you know, I got great feedback. I really did. It was it was amazing. I loved the feedback, but you know yourself, it's about how you feel when you've done it. And you'll know with, with someone such as yourself who does this, you know, you go out, you deliver these keynotes and this is who you are. You'll even you'll know if you've had an off day. Now nobody else might pick up on it at all, but you'll sometimes come away and think. That, that wasn't quite right. Well, I hope you do. I hope you're normal and you do feel that. Or do you just come away and go, my God, I killed it again. I was immense. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, high opinion of myself. But what happens with, with speaking, I find, is that most people, and I wouldn't think this is ever a problem to you. Or I wouldn't have thought up, up until we started talking about not necessarily having a specific structure for things. Because... The problem I think most people have when they speak in public is they just don't grasp, one, how important good content is. And two, they don't grasp the level of dedication you need to have to rehearsing your content. So this is an example I've given before. I'm not sure if on the podcast, but my company invited me last for the last Christmas party to just do 15 minutes on stage, right? Because they know I have that I do this thing. And my, my, my day, my boring day job is what I call my company in this case. And I said, what do you want me to talk about? And they said, well, just talk about whatever you want. Says, that means you're giving me 15 minutes to make fun of the directors in the company. And I said, yeah, sure. Have a blast. And this was 15 minutes, right? This was 15 minutes. Nobody was expecting anything. I could have, bombing would be almost impossible given that everyone else that was going to speak at, at that party was terrible. And I spent two hours writing the thing. And then I, I probably practiced it, I don't know, 20 times. So that's a good five hours of practice for a 15-minute thing that doesn't count for anything, really. And... Uh, <laughs> I, I very much like my opening, which is I have a boss who's a very sharp dresser, and his name is Paul. Uh, hi, Paul. And then I said, I, I opened and I said, listen, I, I can see that most of you look a bit confused. You know, why the hell am I? What am I doing here? You know, normally Paul is the one that does all this stuff. And when the director started organizing it, they they asked Paul if he wanted to to do this speech, and he was very excited about the idea. So he immediately started deciding which suit he was going to wear. But then it, that just took too long, and they couldn't wait for him to come out of the closet. <laughs> That's my level of humor. It really is. Uh, so what I'm trying to say with all this stuff is, so one, I think that having very good content that is thought out to do a whole bunch of things that that perhaps you have less time to do when you're speaking than when you're writing. So you know, are you grabbing people's attention? Are you telling them what you're there for? Are you connecting with them so they relate to to whatever se the session is about and then you know then just building stuff on a logical manner that it's entertaining and all of that but i think if you have as i've seen you describe shit hot content that is just one step of it now it needs to be you know not memorized but you need to know it code and then you have to factor all the other stuff how you're going to yeah. feel what the, the room is like what are the interruptions yeah. how do you handle eye content movement technology and I think some people don't have great content, haven't rehearsed it, and then put on top of put on top of that 
all the difficulties of speaking to, a, to, a, to an audience. And then it's no surprise that most people are, are less than impressive, even though they know their stuff and they might be impressive in other yeah. medium. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's, it is about playing to your strengths really. And, and, and well, I, I don't know if that's the right phrase, actually, I kind of knowing your limitations and knowing where you, you need support with things. Cause yeah, you're absolutely right. You could, you could know your stuff inside out and be an expert in your field. But yeah, if you don't have great content, you, you haven't got the dedication to perfect it and get out there and deal with whatever happens on the day it just all goes to shit completely and you know so I think that was my downfall with it I think because I had two of those elements I knew my content was great I knew I knew it inside out I thought I'd be fine public speaking because I've done it so many times and I, I can handle things but on that day, because it was so different and it was like a, a big deal, it was it was at the Barbican, which is this impressive place. And it was at a big conference and I was getting paid a lot of money for it. And I, suddenly I was just a bit kind of overawed. And I, I didn't I wasn't nervous or anything like that. But I just don't think I did enough to really make sure I was just spot on on the day dealing dealing with everything. and But that, that's what will make me, me better in the future. And from the back of that, I've been invited to, you know, speak at other events. So clearly I couldn't have been awful. But my favourite feedback on the day was, I, I was getting these emails from people who'd attended saying, oh, thank you so much. And it was lovely. I got one, I got a, a DM from a guy who'd been in my session and uh, and he said, oh, hi, Joe, I was at your session um, and I just wanted to say thank you for letting me charge my phone at the front of the room. And I, yeah, I remember, remember this guy come in early and said, oh, do you mind if I charge it on the on the way? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And that was the that was the only positive that guy took from my entire talk. <laughs> I was hoping he, someone was going to tell you, I watch you speak, and I would like to tell you, yeah, I think you're a great writer. <laughs> that would be amazing. I'd love that. I'd, that's still fantastic. <laughs> but I, this Francisco, I do, I take those kind of comments and I use them to my advantage. I really do. Um, so I would, I'd, I'd love that. That would be the kind of thing in, in my style, which I do think it is. It is very self-deprecating, or at least I, I hope it is. I I think because I'm quite bold and I'm loud and I'm vocal, sometimes people think that's arrogant and it's really not. A lot of the time I'm saying, oh, my God, I'm, I'm absolutely shit at this. And, you know, I've got this wrong or this is just, you know, horrendous. But, yeah, I, I like taking, you know, people's comments and trying to spin them around to, to, my, uh, to my advantage. So I, I'd had um, – I got – trolled once on LinkedIn so so badly by another copywriter who we think was drunk because they were set she sent me about 23 messages and they were all between 3 a.m and 4 a.m on a Friday night Saturday morning so I'm going to say she'd had a couple of glasses of wine and she was getting more and more vitriolic as the messages went through she was ripping all my content apart from months and months earlier and then ultimately she caught me this fucking majestic bitch and I was so upset. I remember shaking when I read it that someone hated me that much and thought I was all these horrible things. It was horrible. And then people started saying to me, 
you want to take that as a compliment, really. And, you know, before you know it, I'm introducing myself at events as a fucking majestic bitch. I had um, one of my friends recently made a T-shirt with it on for me and it's got a little crown on it and I've got a mug with fucking majestic bitch written on it as well. So, yeah, it's about taking these things and, and spinning it around um, around to, to your needs. Like the time, a very well-known... Um, I can't name him, sadly. He's he's an entrepreneur. Aren't we all? <laughs> Everyone is. Um, and he'd approached me about um, editing his book, and I gave him the same details I give everyone else. Because, of course, every now and then I do, I edit books rather than just people's pitches or web content or anything like that. I'll, I'll do their books if it's the right client for me. So if someone comes to me and I don't get a good feel for them or I don't think the book's any good and I won't enjoy it, I won't do it. But he'd come to me and he was quite a big name, so I would have liked to have worked with him just for that reason. But I gave him the payment details, the same payment details I give everyone else. And he came back and he said, uh, no, you're okay. For that price, I could get a professional to do it. And again, that was hurtful at the time but now I just I use it to my advantage so now I will happily put that in a post I will happily introduce myself in that way you know or with that reference on a training event yeah I've, I've had it on materials I've had it on slides and, and stuff and I, I think yeah you've just got to take these things and, and run with them but yeah the, the charging one at CopyCon thank you so much for letting me charge my my phone <laughs> during your session that's that's one of the best ones that that's praise indeed <laughs> I mean you, you gotta own these things that there, there was a there's a, a fantasy writer that I quite like called Joe Abercrombie and he he's very funny on his Twitter feed and he makes a point of posting negative reviews on a regular basis like today's one star rating like has a has a book called uh his latest book called a little hatred and the, the review was like there was actually quite a lot of hatred in this one and he says well if i you know i get a lot he gets a lot of five star reviews says, if i post the five stars i just come across like a pretentious cock if i post the one stars then if they're funny right if you're just like oh i didn't like this book but well, well, i'm not gonna post that but it's somewhere like um, the package arrived in my house completely sudden i was like Okay. <laughs> I mean, had to send it back. Like, what's that? Okay, yeah, fine. I love that. I think it's, and you know what? I would want to read that. Yeah, if I read all these five star reviews, yeah, I'd be there thinking, oh, great. Yeah, I'm sure you're wonderful. Wow, this is amazing. If they start sharing things like that, I think, wow, that's a sense of humor I can get on board with. And I really like, because you, you want to know these people are normal don't you and uh, and are willing to have a laugh at themselves and at, at their own expense it is important so yeah yeah i've got i've got lots of one star reviews yeah. i can use <laughs> uh joe i realize we've 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 well run over and trampled and stepped back and spat on the time we had set for this so let me let me just ask you know where can where can people find you other than other than linkedin um linkedin is the main one it's what i use for all of my content really um but of course my website is always a great place to go so it's a good write-up.com but um, I'm actually, as, as you know, and as we talked about, I'm going through a little bit of a rebrand. So that will be changing. I think I will keep I will keep the name. 
I think I'm just going to play it down a little bit and I'm going to change a lot of the content on my my website. So we'll we'll see what I'm, I'm in the middle of a midlife crisis, Francisco. I don't know what content's going to come off. I don't know what's going to go on. It will be a surprise to me as much to anyone else. But yeah, get get yourself on there now and get yourself on in a couple of months and and see if if either of the Joe Watsons you're presented with as someone you'd like to work with or read more about. Who of us is not in the middle of some type of crisis? I mean, I'm yet to, I'm yet to meet the person who says, oh, I know exactly what I'm doing. I've known for the last five years. I know what the next 10 years look like, and I have no questions. I said, sure, I, I don't want to have a beer with you. <laughs> exactly. I don't trust those people. They offer nothing to the conversation. They're no fun, are they? No, nobody wants those people in their life. No one needs that negativity. Who, who wants well-resolved, you know, mentally healthy people? Or emotionally healthy people in their lives. I mean, we will have nothing to talk about. (laughs) I want to know that if I'm having a a beer and a conversation with someone, I like the idea that we will laugh uncontrollably and at some point one of us will cry. I like that idea. And you don't get that with emotionally healthy people. So. (laughs) (laughs) Well, laughing uncontrollably and eventually crying is how I'll describe intimate relationships with me so so there we have it <laughs> all right everybody before before this goes even further than it should already has thanks for tuning in take care of yourselves and until next time